I also like if it's the woman murdering you, she has a machine gun. It's not, of course. It's not just like pop, pop. It's, yeah. like, it's like, all right, well. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I don't know what we're talking about anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of 1001 Album Complaints. This is the show where lifelong friends, musicians, and music critics go through albums on the list of Robert Dimery's 1001 albums you must hear before you die, give our always insightful and never jackassed opinions on them, <laughs> do a nice deep dive and critique, and at the end, vote and tell you whether or not we think this belongs on the list of 1001 albums you must hear before you die. Everybody who is listening to this right now, we very much thank you for being along on this journey with us. If you want to like us, if you want to go to whatever podcast portal you are listening through and give a little thumbs up, give us a rating, give us a review. More importantly, if you could tell your friends to listen to it, that would be very helpful for us. We're not trying to make money off this, but we are trying to get the message out there that we wholeheartedly disagree with some of Robert Dimery's opinions <laughs> and also very much sit back other of his, other of his opinions. It turned into a 90s infomercial. And if you promise to tell one friend, we'll throw in a second <laughs> shitty episode for the... Pr- <laughs> and then they tell five friends. But you got to call right now, dude. Right yeah. now. Right, exactly. Call right now to the number <laughs> that we don't have. <laughs> it's an MLM. If every five people that you know tell five people they know, we'll cover the we'll earth in 13 rounds. we'll be rich. That's right. right. <laughs> so this week... We have been listening to The Low End Theory by A Tribe Called Quest. Oh, yeah. Very excited to dive into this album and dissect it and give you, uh, hopefully, uh, a little bit more information about it than you had previous to this podcast. If you're already familiar with this album, fantastic. If you have not listened to this album before, not a problem. We are going to give you enough information so that you can f- walk away from this feeling like an expert on this album. Now, this was the second studio album from A Tribe Called Quest. It was released September 24th, 1991. 91. Very much hailed as, yeah, 91. Yeah. It's hailed as a a seminal album in terms of uh, the influence it had on the broader hip-hop scene and spawned a lot of other uh, groups and a lot of other um, imitators of this style. And to give you guys a little bit of a feel for what this album sounds like, we are going to start with the first track on this album. It is called Excursion. So without any further ado, here is track one from 1991's The Low End Theory, Excursions. Back in the days when I was a teenager Before I had status and before I had a pager You can find the abstract, listening to hip-hop My pops used to say it reminded him of bebop I said, well, daddy, don't you know that things go in cycles Way the Bobby Brown is just amping like Michael It's all expected, things are for the looking If you got the money, quest is for the booking Come on, everybody, let's get with the fly mode Still got room on the truckload of black gold 
listen to the rhyme to get a mental picture of this black man the black woman picture why do i say that cause i gotta speak the truth man doing what we feel for the music is the proof and planet on the ground the act is so together gonna fly strong you need leverage to sever all right glad we dropped that in now we're gonna go around the horn and we're gonna get a little introduction in place here and we're gonna give our tweet length reviews of the album so uh, I'm going to throw this ball over to Adam. Adam, tell me what you thought. Hey, this is Adam. My head is still bobbing from that clip we just dropped. Uh, my quick review is, they got me. They got me. I thought about three quarters of the songs on this album were live musicians. <laughs> In the room, almost. It, it had a, a fantastic, organic sound, and they tricked me until I read further. So well done, Tribe. All right. Thank you, Adam. We are going to throw this over to Bill. Bill, first time on the podcast. Very interested to hear what your impression was of the low end theory. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. I've uh, been a long time listener, a big fan of the show. So I appreciate you having me. We paid him to uh, say my, that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> my, my review is basically uh, the bass lines, the drums, the smooth lyrics, the jazz. It's impossible to be in a bad mood listening to this record. It's just so good. I mean, the album is on point all the time. And I think it'll still sound good uh, in 30 years from now as it did 30 years ago. You on point, Bill? All the time, man. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> Bill, I, I, think that's, I think that's really well said. This is Phil here. I, I think you said, you know, it, it sounds as cool now as it did 30 years ago. And we're going to dig into a lot of the samples, I'm sure. But like a lot of the record pulls from stuff that's 30 years old in 1991. Right? Oh, shit. Yeah, sounds, that's a good point. It sounds hip. The bass lines are so cool that it really it really does just pull you right in. Uh, this was a trip down memory lane for me in a different way. I feel like this was like the background music to every college party. Uh, <laughs> and coming back to it later, I think uh, I want to bring up, as you know, as we discussed tonight, I want to bring up some some interesting through lines I think I experienced with sort of early to mid '90s jazz, which I'm gonna I'm gonna put this in that category. All right, nice, awesome. And this is Tom, everybody. And my tweet le- my tweet length review is: Please do try this at home. Often we say don't try this at home. I would say please do try this at home because this has a you know, a guy with a four track and just minimal amounts of technology and minimal amounts of equipment. And it became something new. And it is hard to do that. You probably won't be as successful. Was this really made on a four track? Quest. No, it wasn't made on a four track. Okay. But we're going <laughs> to talk a little bit about right. We're going to talk a little bit about their, um, <laughs> their approach to making music, but. It is lo-fi, and I love the lo-fi sound. I want more lo-fi sound in the world, and it shows you that if you have artistic integrity and you have a drive and you have intelligence and you have a musical sense, you can really create some fantastic art with basically almost no equipment, and it really is impressive. So I want more people to try this. Please do try this at home if you're out there, dear listener. I'm sure it's not as easy as it sounds. But by the way, before we jump into the record, I completely agree with Tom. You can learn more with a four-track Tascam tape machine than you can with GarageBand. It's actually, it makes (laughs) so much more sense. Totally, Uh, totally. So try that out. 
You can get them for like 150 bucks on Reverb.com. <laughs> Here's Phil. Sponsor Reverb.com. <laughs> Good luck affording the tapes, though. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah the, the tapes. Where the money they'll is, catch right. up to you fast, right? right. <laughs> yeah. I was, uh, I was quote uh, the one the sound engineer from the studio that we go to, where he always says, uh, "Tascam." It's the only. They tell you right in the name. It has scam in it. You should know. <laughs> it's not worth your time. <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about a tribe called Quest. Kind of a weird name. One would think that if you were naming a band or a, you know, I'll call them a band. Yeah, you're naming a band. Yep. A tribe called Quest is an interesting name for a band. It kind of goes back to early on in their musical career when they were first getting started. Q-Tip had a song that he basically had an introductory line on the song where he said, my name's Q-Tip. I'm from a group called Quest. And one of the guys who was in Jungle Brothers, who was uh, another group from the same area that they came from, said, hey, how about you say I'm from a tribe called Quest? That sounds way cooler than a group called Quest. And that sort of just stuck because they were originally called Quest at the beginning of their their time. And it's like, yeah, you know, uh, all right. let's call it a tribe called Quest. And that was much uh, cooler. It Good is decision. much cooler. Yeah. It gives you this sense of family and a sense of community. And I actually really think that that's shown through on this record generally is that they seem like a bunch of like just dudes that really know each other well and like each other and are, you know, kind of lifelong friends. Part of the reason for that is that actually they are lifelong friends. So originally this group had four members when they formed. They formed in 85, like 85, 86. And it was originally Fife Dog, whose real name is uh, Malik Isaac Taylor, Ali Shaheed Muhammad, Q-Tip, whose real name is Kamal Ibn John Farid, and Jerobi White. They're all rappers except for Ali Shaheed Muhammad, who is the DJ. They formed because Q-Tip and Fife were friends from literally when they were like two years old. It was, you know, they knew each other growing up. That's funny. You can, I, there's a couple references in some lyrics where they talk about like, you know, let's, let's do it like we did. And the, the picture that they paint is just like two kids in a living room, like doing their thing in front of like their family or like their neighbors or something. I, I can't remember the song, but I have this picture in my head and that totally makes sense based on what you're saying. So, uh, you're probably talking about like check the rhyme where he's like, uh, you remember when we used to rock those fly routines on your cousin's block? Yeah. Yeah, they're passing it back and forth. Yeah, that's the tune. Yep. So basically when they grew up, they grew up in the St. Albans area of Queens, which I did not realize how much of a like musical history was from St. Albans, Queens. They it's just like I, Canada. Mississauga, Canada specifically. Dude, I watched this documentary about a tribe called Quest. They were basically they they walked to this mural and they said we thought we were going to end up on this mural of all these great musicians that came out of St. Albans and on this mural all these people came from St. Albans not necessarily all born there but all lived there and had like a musical like began their musical career there we got James Brown Billie Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald, John Coltrane, Fats Waller, Lena Horne. Jesus. All of these people were from the St. Albans neighborhood in Queens, New York, which is something in the water. That's crazy. That's a pretty good list. Yeah. It's pretty ambitious to think you're also going to end up on that. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. Very, very yeah. Good. yeah. 
Especially when you're like, well, I'm just going to take some of their music and cut some drum beats out of it and then some horns. And then, yeah, I'm a rap over it. I'm going to be on that same mural. Yeah. So when they started, they were, uh, they were a four-piece. Um, they recorded their first album. And actually, right when they started to record the low-end theory, Jirobi left the group, which honestly, how much of a like apparently he has no regrets. He's been in interviews lately and said, like, yeah, you know, I got no regrets. It was all fine. But if he had just stuck around for like another eight months, he would have been in oh, a tribe man. called Quest. When right, they became right. a tribe called Quest. And I I can't imagine he's not kicking himself about that. That just seems like kind of ridiculous. And he left to go to culinary school, if I recall, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, he owns a restaurant now. And it's not even like he doesn't own like a Michelin star restaurant or something like that. He just owns a restaurant in Queens that people go to. And it's, you know, it's a decent restaurant, but uh, he's not Q-tip, certainly. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> he did actually return on their last album um, um, that came out, what was that, about five or six years ago? Oh, yeah. The one that they put out uh, when they kind of reformed. They had a little bit of an acrimonious breakup, which I thought was a little kind they of. They did, yeah. Yeah. For people who but he did like, actually like, come back for a few songs on that last album. Yeah, I feel like especially with hip hop, it's a little easier to sort of kind of come in and out of the experience as opposed to when you're, you know, when you're in a, a band where you have to be practicing all of your different changes and everything like that all the time, as opposed to like, I'm going to come in, and I'm going to write some some verses and, you know, it, it's probably a little easier to slot yourself in. Versus Elvis Costello's band, who played with him for like thirty-five years. Or something. Yes, or or Weird Al's band, who played. With there him. you go. Yeah. Thank you. Also, exactly. yep, up there. So, Adam, you mentioned um, them talking a little bit about this early experience and how they kind of came up, and they referenced this a couple of times. And actually, in Check the Rhyme, they referenced it a little back in the day on the Boulevard of Linden. So. This will call back to a uh, previous episode of ours. Fife grew up right on Linden and Farmers Boulevard. And oh. on the LL Cool J album, he has that song, right. Farmers Boulevard. So they grew up idolizing LL Cool J and just really thinking that like LL Cool J and Run DMC were just the epitome of music at the time. And I can definitely see where they're coming from. It was a it was a new sound. It was a different style, and it seemed achievable. If you're just you know you don't have the money to. When we were growing up, Adam, your dad was actually instrumental in us having a band because he's like, I have a PA, <laughs> I, I have, have gear, I have right. everything you need. It's like thousands <laughs> right. of dollars worth of equipment. Where if you're you know, Dude, you had a PA like, and a bass rig that was huge. Right. Synthesizers, huge. Synthesizers. And synth too, yeah. yeah. And you know. It, if you got like a single mom, you're not exactly like you're gonna be like, oh yeah, well, why don't you just go out and buy me this like eight hundred dollar PA system and a bunch of like you know really nice synths and all that other stuff. <laughs> so they were basically, you know, battle rappers. That was that was what Fife and specifically Q-Tip kind of did back in the day, which is much more of a street corner style. Let's throw some rhymes back and forth. A lot of passing off the rhyme to the other person as you sort of like, I said my diss, and then, yeah, you're going to say yours back. And I think that comes through a lot in their style, this sort of passing the mic kind of experience, very much Beastie Boys style, where it's, hey, mm -hmm. I, I, I said something, I'm going to throw it over to you, you're going to say something, you're going to throw it back to me. It's like passing the ball back and forth. I, I find that to be, 
I remember Rob mentioned on one of our previous podcasts that when singers pass off main vocal lines, it reminds him of friendship. And I got that a lot from oh, yeah. this. It really, it, right. it, it makes you feel like these are guys that kind of understand each other. They have a, a similar um, history and that comfort level is so there that you know that when you pass it, somebody's going to catch it and they're going to throw it back to you and you can play off each other very, very well. And that's such a that's such a subtle thing, but it has such a dramatic impact on the end product. You know what I mean? Sure. Like you can you can tell when it's not organic, when it's not real, when it feels forced. There's just something about the sound. And that's totally like, yeah, that's cool. Again, back to a previous podcast. Like that was sort of what we talked about with the the get back sessions, right? And that was something yeah. that we, we were sort of mm-hmm. just blown away that like this is just John and Paul hanging. This is just what it sounds like. <laughs> right. You know? right. When they get together in a and, room, but part this of that happens. is sort of just very, you know, uh, the ability to throw it back and forth like that, very loose, very like you know, very trusting, you know. Yeah. Like, and you know, listening to, you listen to an album like Thirty Six Chambers, another album with a lot of different lyricists on it. This album doesn't have nearly as many lyricists on it, but it gives you this sense again of something that we've talked about in the past you have an in the room feel or you don't have an in the room feel and this didn't feel like a bunch of guys recording their verses completely separately that were never in the studio at the same time or anything like that i got the impression that they were in the the room together and like one guy would stop and the other guy would pick it up i'm sure that's not actually the way it was recorded but it felt right, that way right. it gave you that real yeah. in the room feel. it feels live yeah the po- right. especially the posse cuts i mean what's you that know, like scenario and that Beach Boy yeah, song, it feels so that sounds that's it's like all of them around one mic. It's, it's the same sort of vibe. You sort of get this overwhelming togetherness. Like you know they're there, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. You just know. I just real. know it. Yeah. I just I I choose to believe that they were all in the room. <laughs> you know, I don't actually know which song you're talking about, but I did see a live recording of the Beach Boys performing uh, uh recording old old Lang Syne. And it is just all of them around a microphone, and it kills. Oh it's my just, god, it's so good. I'll, I'll, uh, we'll drop in the clip I'm talking about. It only lasts about twenty seconds, so it's, it's cool. The one of the things that it would probably be very obvious to um, anybody who listens to this album is that Q-Tip is a record bin diving dude. He goes to re- that's what it's like his hobby. His hobby is he shops for records. And there are so many cool samples on this album of songs that I never would have heard before. And yeah. they take little tiny snippets and they just throw them in there. And it sounds super cool. So Bill had shared with me the uh, uh, a day before, Tom, before you sent it out, the list of samples from this album. And I'm just saving that. That is a great playlist. It's all Fantastic. over the place. It's different genres. It's it's from jazz to to the bebop stuff to uh, Motown. Like it's just across the board, awesome. So if you have a chance, we'll also link in the description the playlist for all the samples used on this album, which is just as much fun to listen to as this album itself. It really is a fun addendum to yeah, <laughs> the yeah. content in and of itself. So you know, we're talking a little bit about sort of their overall philosophy. There's a couple of, of sort of formative things that I want to talk a, a little bit about here uh, on the way to getting to the meat of this album. One is that 
they had a different philosophy and a different style and they found other artists that were in that same vein and they formed a musical collective around that sort of dynamic and they called it native tongues and it was basically this collective of other musicians that were sort of uh about empowerment about positivity about afrocentrism um and definitely about this sort of you know sampling of things that you would not necessarily think would be sampled on these types of albums and it was actually a pretty cool collective there were some really good uh groups that were in that going through just a couple of the people on this list there was queen latifah was one of them uh we had de la soul the jungle brothers brand nubians black sheep who still have my favorite of all time karaoke song i can almost never find somebody who has uh that uh the choice is yours black sheep song but that's like my favorite karaoke song to do uh, fantastic it's a really it's a really fantastic song does anybody remember moni love she had that song yeah. moni in the middle yeah Moaning in the middle. Where you at? In the middle. <laughs> I'm a couple of years older than you guys, so I actually listened to this <laughs> uh, when it first came out. And I was a teenager, so in excursions, when Q-Tip's talking about back in the days when he was a teenager, which for him was only a few years ago, I was a teenager, and so it really spoke to me. Yeah, I, I uh, we're gonna we're gonna touch on this a lot, but I feel like somehow they had nostalgia baked into the product. Even when oh, it was contemporary, they had nostalgia baked into the product, and it was really good. So anyway, they had this musical collective, which I think is just it's just kind of cool. It sounds like, honestly, it sounds like a lot of fun to just be in that environment, and it, it sounds like a very feckin' environment for creativity. So how, how quickly did, like, Tribe blow up, and how quickly did, like, that sort of, like you know, adjacency effect occur. So they put out um, a demo and they basically Geffen, uh, Geffen Records uh, like optioned them on like a five song demo deal. And then they passed. They were like, ah, we're not really that interested. We don't really want to go with you. But after that, it kind of turned into a weird bidding war and they got, what was the biggest advance for an unsigned group for an unsigned hip hop group at the time, they got a $350,000 advance to make their first record, which came out in 1990 as people's instinctive travels and the paths of rhythm. So they actually were very underground in New York for a while. But when I say underground, you can't be that underground if you're playing like the big, clubs in new york right like right right was, that was the scene at the time um and they uh really got a lot of buzz behind them and again a three hundred fifty thousand dollars of 1990 money probably 1989 yeah, money at that point that's a lot that of money is. um and so they made their first album and their first album it was it was a success it it was definitely seen as very very influential in retrospect in terms of overall sales. 
it sold 500,000 copies in the U.S. So it went gold, but it not it not the same amount of success that they had with Low End Theory. Sure. Um, Low End Theory went platinum in the U.S., um, so it sold over a million in the U.S. But in terms of their overall, um, you know, their journey, it was they were pretty much kind of on a rocket ship from the beginning. They had some success making these, what they refer to as pause tapes, which this was something that I was not familiar <laughs> with this term, but um, Q-Tip kind of broke it down in this documentary talking about pause tapes. They would take a record and a, and a tape recorder and they would play like two bars of a beat and then they'd pause the tape and they'd rewind it and they'd play the same two bars of the beat and then they'd record that. Dude, and that's that how they would make awesome. a beat. <laughs> yeah. No way. Wow. Yeah. They said, you know, I saw that same, I think it was the same documentary, but they talked about how they couldn't play intru- instruments. So, you know, sampling yeah. was their instrument. And they really That is super that. MacGyver. Yeah. That's, that's a cool that example. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's just a lot of fun. It's right. Just a yeah, lot of fun. Like, yeah. yeah it, it reminds me of that guy, Daniel Johnston, right? Who was a, a dude, totally different realm, but Tom, same sort of time. So this would have been like mid to late 80s, you're saying? It's when this like pause tapes thing would have been happening. Yeah, totally. He, this, so this guy was like an Austin, Texas folk singer. I don't think we'll talk about him on the show. His records are somewhat unlistenable. But a lot of his <laughs> early tapes, he his thing was he created master tapes of the music in a maybe not a similar fashion. But a lot of the tapes that would circulate were like a live vocal. He had a backing track he had made for himself, and then he would just sing it live, and that was one. Oh, and then he okay. would just play the tape, do it again. All right, and it's weird, man. Anyway, <laughs> sometimes it creates great art. Sometimes it creates Daniel Johnson songs. Oh, <laughs> mutually exclusive. That's uh, another drop. <laughs> I'll work Very on useful. That. Right. Mutually exclusive. <laughs> So, you know, uh, Q-Tip gets a lot of credit for um, the production on this album. He did a lot of the drum programming that was outside of the sample drums that they would use. And apparently a lot of what he did was he would layer multiple drum hits on top of one, like, it'd be like four snares on the same hit to all make the same kind of, make one, like, unified sound. Okay, now that is, is genius. So we talked about Alanis Morissette recently. And the drum programming on there, which was 15, 16 years after this album comes mm-hmm. out, the drum sounds are nauseating. They're just terribly fake. And you're telling me that he does drum programming, but mixes it in because I it slipped past me. Like I said, I honestly thought at some point these were live instruments. <laughs> so well done on the drum production. Damn. Yeah, the, the other guy that um, I feel like deserves a little bit of a shout out is the sound engineer, Bob Power, which is great. Rock great, man. Just great. Great, yeah, yeah, yeah right. Um, Just want to he... give him like a fist bump. <laughs> I don't know if your fist could handle it. He might shatter your fist for right. that fist bump. <laughs> Bob Power. So he did a lot of the basically cleaning up of the samples. He would do... He had a bunch of different manual techniques that he was using to remove the scratches and remove any of the hitches in there to make it sound a little bit more natural and apparently a very, very arduous process to get it to sound. Oh, I can like imagine. Because, you know, there's no programming back in the days doing this all manually. But 
a big part of that sort of in the room and real sound off of those drums comes from the fact that he did a ton of work to clean it up. And he's also the man. Like, he, he seems like he's a huge fan of A Tribe Called Quest. He's, you know, he, he's very humble about his contribution. He's just sort of like, yeah, you know, I mean, I kind of did some stuff, but, like, the music's them. Like, I didn't do right. any of the music stuff. I just sort of helped it make it sound a little bit more natural. Wait, 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 wait. There was another producer on this record called Pete Rock. Yeah, Bob Power. Oh, my and God. Pete These Rock guys were Pete Rock. Hell yeah. Jesus. <laughs> Holy that's a shit. powerhouse. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, listen, let's jump back into excursions. All right. Cause Hell yeah. I, I, we touched on it briefly and we talked a little bit about the, the general impressions, but. I just want to kick back into a little bit later in excursions. Then we're going to do a deep dive. So here we go. Here's a little bit later in excursions, just for everybody's listening pleasure. All right, everybody. So that was a little bit more of excursions. Let's get into it. Let's talk a bit more about why we love or maybe don't love this song. Bill, let's hear what you got to say. I, I love this song. I think it sets the tone for what's to come for the rest of the album without being uh, too in your face production wise. I think it's very minimal. There's a little bit of double tracking that Q-Tip does of his voice. But other than that, I mean, it's a straightforward bass and drums. But then you have the horns at the end. And he just, he, he comes right out and says, we're going to get in the zone of positivity, not negativity, because we got to strive for longevity. And I think that just kind of just sets a tone for the rest of the album. It's great. You know, I, I 100% agree with you on the selective doubling. This is something that we've talked about a few times here, that just that extra amount, a little bit of punch, especially the way that the doubles aren't perfect. He's not exactly on the cadence and it gives it a lot more beef for some reason. You know, if it was exactly the same, it would sound a little synthetic, but it sounds so natural and so real. Definitely. Yeah. Phil. Give it yeah. To me, man. I mean, so this, this song is super hip and, and I, I think the way you guys are talking about setting the tone, I think is, is spot on. Right. Uh, and this really did. I mean, when I popped this on, it sort of was like, Oh, this record, like every party I was at in college, right? Uh, it did It did sort of like take me back there instantly. And I want to draw a through line here that I think is really interesting. So this song immediately sent me searching for a Modesky Martin and Wood song. I, it's after listening to this, like all these years later, I was like, oh, there's an actually really interesting through line here. Like this jazz band that I liked, was totally living in New York in 1991. Oh, shit. Looking okay. up to these guys. It probably right. in some ways. Definitely aware of this music. I don't think the first MMW record, which came out in 93, sounds much like this. But by 94, 95, like, uh, God, what's that album called? It's like Friday Afternoon in the Universe. Yeah, yeah, that's a great uh, one. And what's the one right before that? Uh, give me a second. I'll tell you. 
The one right before that also. Is that had... Last Chance to Dance Trance? Is that the no, one? No, it's a jungle. It after? Oh, it's a jungle in here, yeah. But the song yeah. the song that it, that it sent me looking for is called Chub Sub. And it's the same oh, thing. Oh, dude, I know that. this dope bass yes. line. And this, yes. this and Chub Sub do the same thing in a different way, which is the bass line comes in, and then when the next thing comes in, it brings to your attention that what you were feeling is the one is not the one. Right. And it like, oh, so it yeah. gives you a curveball real early and it stays there. And it's just like, just for moment one, you're sort of pulled. They in. do that again. They do that again in another tune. That Fucking whole hell. not one thing, which is just great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's so nice, yeah. the, the thing I really like about this is that the baseline is sampled from that, um, art Blakey and the jazz messenger song, a chant for boo, which is actually in five, and they chop the bass line that boom, 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 boom. They throw an extra little boom, boom, on the end. They basically take the beginning and tack it onto the end, and then it repeats again to make it in four four. It's so damn cool. It's so cool. And this, you know, the lyrics of this song. Again, Bill, you're completely right. Sets the tone for the album. And I think a big part of the overall message of this album is, again, retro, old school. And mm-hmm. like we think of these guys as old school because they came out when we were very young. But they also, even contemporarily, could have been conceived as uh, perceived as old school because they have so many of these lines which are talking about like back in the day. You know, he's setting your mind in a place that is not 1991. He's mm-hmm. like back in the day when I was a teenager, which granted for him was only like 1986, <laughs> but still, um, <laughs> it it gives you this, whether it was intentional or not, it, it, it sort of incepts in your mind this sense of timelessness, this sense of classic. And it really, really, it, it puts me, it's evocative in a way that simple lyrics and simple production, it's hard to be that evocative. But also, speaking of hard, that fucking drop is amazing. <laughs> that is the perfectly placed drop. It's just an immense amount of taste. When you have a very limited palette of what you're dealing with, you have to put everything in the perfect place. And that to keep it interesting, that drum drop is out of control every time. I'm just like, oh my god, yes, I'm so into this song. Back in the days when I was a teenager Before I had status and before I had a pager You can find the abstract, listening to hip-hop My pops used to say it reminded him of bebop I said, well, daddy, don't you know that things go in cycles Way the Bobby Brown is just amping like Michael It's all expected, things are for the looking If you got the money, quest is for the booking Come on, everybody, let's get with the fly mode Still got room on the truckload of black gold there's there's a little bit of like secret sauce in here because and there's a there's a, a uh, an alternate universe where this song is so monotonous and because it's just a half step bow 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 for three and a half minutes and they just did something right with the drums the beat the lyrics my one complaint uh it's not even really oh 
We'll see what you guys think. They have a line in there. They said, we worked hard, so we got to thank God. And that always cracks me up for people who are like, we spent hundreds of hours writing songs, practicing our craft, recording, hustling our asses for five years to make it big. We're going to thank God. What? No, thank yourself, dude. <laughs> what the hell, man? You did all the hard work. I don't know. Your atheism is showing through. <laughs> oh, sorry. Let me put that away. Yeah, I'm not going to. Yeah, I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to rep God here. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that set, it also shows it kind of sets them apart. And shows how they're humble. True. Ah, uh, all right. I feel you. Yeah. Yeah, I think they were purposefully trying to be different and and trying to set themselves apart from what was going so on. So, like, with the rest what of is the context? Like, I I don't really know the history of hip hop. Is this more like Public Enemy, like NWA era? Like, what yeah. what else is mainstream? Because this is before G thing. Right. Yes. For sure. It's before like gangster rap really took hold, probably, uh, but it was it was starting to happen. This was ninety one. I think that was wait. The Predator came out in ninety two, right? But I think Ice Cube had already put out America's Most Wanted at this point. They kind of made a point, and this is uh, it was is a quote from another person who was in the Native Tongues Collective which was basically saying, yeah, there's a time for fuck the police. There's a time for fight the power. Uh, there's a band for that too. And we're not that band. We're a different thing. We are right. doing like, uh, I'm happy that that's out there, but that's not what we're doing. We're doing something that's a little bit more positive and a little bit more accessible is probably the word. And that kind of comes to... But they're Q-tip. also not. You can't touch this. They're not hammered. No, 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 no. Like they're no, not. But they that do. Happening. They do talk about hammer at one point. <laughs> do they? I don't know. Yeah. If I don't know if they're ripping him, but they, they, they say something. Him. Up, uh, uh, what? What was his big two big songs? Hammer. <laughs> Would you say yeah. hammer? Too Proper. legit to quit. <laughs> yeah, and right. Can't touch. Yeah. Yeah. It might have been legit. They might have talked about too legit to quit or something like that. They they talk about. But it. They have a line in there at some point where he says like rap is not pop. Right. Like, yes. Very yeah, much yeah, rap yeah, right, is right. not pop. It's not that because um, pop is substanceless. It's cotton candy. You know, you expose mm-hmm. it to water, it just turns into nothing. Right. And they were trying to be a little bit more substantive, but not again. There's more than one way to be substantive. You don't have to be like angrily fighting against the, you know, the slings and arrows that the world is throwing at you to do something. Right. No, they were very consciously pro-black. Uh, pro African without being militant really, which was which is really a very different avenue than most groups around this time were trying. So I think it was it's genius. Well and also an appreciation of you know Q tip's voice and his delivery style oh, would yeah. not work. For angry militant, he's smooth, <laughs> smooth, very smooth. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yep. You know, if he was out there, he'd be like, "Yo, fuck the police." Like, oh, okay, man. <laughs> I what are you fucking on quaaludes? Right. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> we we've said this many times with uh, singers. You find your range. You know, don't try to hit the soaring high notes if that's not your voice. Find right, where your right. range sits, and very much so. Prima voce. It, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> what is that? yeah, That's what, the actual that? musical term for your like your your good voice. Okay. Your oh, prime voice. It's called prima voce. Oh, nice. All right. But no, like again, it's 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 
it shows a level of thought and intelligence taken to the project where it's not, I've, I've done this a million times in my life where I've written a song and be like, Oh, I came up with this great melody. And then I'm like, I can't actually sing. That. I can't it's sing that. Terrible. Right. Why would I do that? I don't know how much of the, how much of a feeling out process Q-tip had for that. Or if it was just sort of supernatural, like, Hey, I got this smooth voice. I kind of speak with this lower cadence. I'm not trying to do the super fast stuff. And I just naturally write like this. Or if there were times where he came up with a bunch of like really fast stuff and was just like, I sound ridiculous. I can't do this. But <laughs> either way, the output is fantastic. With finding your voice, like I have a lower register. Like I'd, I'd much rather sing like a Josh Groban song and being in a cover band when people would come up and be like, can you sing that Kelly Clarkson song? <laughs> <laughs> the one that goes really high. Uh, no, I'm sorry. And if, if we do do that, we're going to drop it nine steps. It's going to, it's going to sound like a Metallica song. <laughs> it's none of the right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. Sorry. That's uh, all right. I was, I was going to say, let's, let's move on to track two on this album. So, yeah. Real one-two punch here. Excursions into Buggin' Out. Before we jump into this, I, I think that I want to touch a little bit on Fife Dog yeah. and his contribution to this album. He w- he was on their first album, but he was not nearly as much of a contributor as he was on this album. And oddly enough, part of what he said was he basically couldn't handle like the rules of being in an early '90s hip hop band. <laughs> like, it was too much for him. That's- that strict code of conduct. Well, it was <laughs> that everybody like, was following. Q-tip was just like, "Hey, man, like you got a lot of talent. Like you just need to actually show up." And he's like, "Ah, yeah, I guess, I guess I can make that happen." <laughs> I mean, he was a free spirit, wasn't he? He was. Or, rest a free in peace. Spirit. Rest in peace. Yeah. I mean, Re- definitely rest in power. God, this guy. Dog. He's the man. Fife Dog actually had childhood diabetes, so he had type one diabetes, and. He references, I drink a lot of soda, so they call me oh, Dr. Pepper. Oh, right. He was self-described a sugar addict, even though wow. he was a diabetic. And actually, um, there were they, they were doing a bunch of appearances for when this album came out, and Check the Rhyme was their big single. And they did Letterman in New York, and Fife was basically like, almost in a diabetic coma when they were doing it. He's like, I couldn't move. And I was like, you know, and then they flew out from New York to LA to do Dennis Miller the next day. And Fife had to get rushed to the hospital basically. And Q-Tip performed check the rhyme, which is passing the ball back and forth all by himself because Fife had to go to the hospital. That's eventually what killed him. He Ah, was, but he had to go to the hospital. Like he was just destroying his body. 
basically has. Yeah. Okay. And and, right. and not even chronic. Well, no, like I think acute. he had. Didn't he have it? Like a, it's it's not the kind that's related to your diet. Like he was born with it. The genetic. He yes, had the genetic genetic type one. one childhood diabetes. Yeah. But even Jeez. so, like even though it's not. Even it's if not it's not better. related to your diets, you still no. Can't you still process need to manage sugar. that. In many yeah, ways, right. you need to. I think you need to manage that more actively. Yeah, yeah, because type two diabetes is like degenerative. As you age, it gets worse. Whereas type one diabetes is basically as bad as it gets right away, and you're just like in that position where it's just really bad for you right away. Anyway, super big downer here. Yeah. But <laughs> this song was but this song. Fucking it was rocks, kind of so. it was kind of Fife Dogs like statement to the oh. world where he was like coming in as like, no, I'm not a contributor. I'm a member and I am. Let me drop it for you here. So yeah, Adam bust it out. What do you think, man? Yeah. So this is, this is the one musically we were talking about how this, you kind of fall over when the drums come in. Cause you start bobbing your head. And this is because the bass comes in on the two, the two of a, of a four count, which is pretty cool. The song starts, you think that's the first note, but then the drums come in and you're actually on three and you have to realign to where one is. And it's just a really cool intro. It kind of, it, it sets you off kilter a bit, but then you fall even harder on the beat when it does come in. I thought that was totally, totally a great uh, production choice as well as I think it, uh, there's a ride symbol yeah. that comes oh, in yeah. at around yeah. 55 so seconds. It is the tone is great. The the it's like you know a dotted eighth or something like that, and it's it's just it moves it continues the progression of the song, keeps it interesting, just fantastic. Too. So uh, they say that the drums on this are sampled from "Spinning Wheel" by Lonnie Smith. Yeah, but I listened to that song, and I couldn't pick out which drum section they clipped to make this. So I'm wondering if they just picked out random different sounds and like patched them all together to make one. Definite patchwork. Yeah, I think there was what a breakbeat section though. Oh, uh, and that. the baseline is Minya's "The Mooch" from uh, the well-known Jack J- De Johnette's directions. Jack DeJohnette. That guy, he's a drummer. Yeah. Uh, Wait, Minnie the Mooch is in Howdy, 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 Hi, Howdy. (laughs) No. Is that the tune? That's not the tune. That's. um, Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I was going to say, that's that. uh, Yeah, somebody else. All right. I thought that was called Minnie the Mooch. Bill, the only reason I know Jack DeJohnette is a drummer is because at one point I bought a snare drum off of some jazz guy and it had a Jack DeJohnette drum head on it. That's awesome. And I was like, nice. what the fuck is this? And he was like, oh, it's Jack DeJohnette. I was like, you don't know Jack DeJohnette? I was like, I know nothing about the drums. Okay, yeah. Which side do I hit? <laughs> the, one with, yeah. the one with the chains on it. Yeah. Thanks, sir. Oh. But, but Adam, yeah, you bring up a good point. I mean, that this bass line, I mean, Excursion starts with the bass line, right? They have the, the eight bars oh, yeah. of, of, yeah. of uh, intro mm-hmm. bass line, and then he starts rapping, and you're just like, okay, here we go. In the same way here, and you expect it to be the same, but, you know, they start off on, like you said, like on that second beat. And then uh, Fife comes in on the, the, the eight, if it's a eight count, he comes in the eight count, like, yo, 
And it's just yeah, like, right. microphone check, one, two, what is this? And you're like, oh, that is, what? Oh, shit, just, here we yeah, go. Yeah, and then the, the symbol crashes on the one to let you know where it's at. It's yeah. just like, this is the beginning. Yeah. And th- I feel like this is the start of the album. Like, that, like Excursions was amazing. And then you get to bugging out, and you're like, well, this is, wait. It's almost like, I think Bob Power, the, uh, the engineer, said this is the Sgt. Pepper's of of hip-hop and i oh, think he's okay. right yeah because okay. you know you have sergeant pepper's the intro and then it doesn't really kick off until the second track with a little help my yeah. friends you know so it's a really effective start it's it's disorienting like you said and then it's a straight groove i mean that that bass line is awesome and q-tips eerie the eerie ride symbol is like wow this is <laughs> this is something i, I don't else. think i would have caught it unless we had talked about it so directly but I feel like the ride symbol is like a sample, right? Like this sounds like a programmed piece compared to, well, a sample in that, that like digitized way. Not that it's bad, but like, you know, now that I'm being asked to stare at it, you know? Right. It's, a, it's probably not part of that. But it's cool. It's, it is. Yeah. It does. And like you said, it propels the song forward in an unexpected way. Uh well, it also it happens ass. when they pass the mic off, right? So it gives you that sort of ah, like punctuation yeah. point of like Q tip coming in. I'm not an invalid, although he used to smoke the weed out. <laughs> 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 <That's> a great <laughs> line. <laughs> Which, by the way, what's with all these rappers pretending like they used to smoke weed? Right. You still smoke weed? Come on, listen we to his know. voice. I mean, yeah. it's nostalgia, oh, man. <laughs> all happened in the past. Five minutes yeah. ago. <laughs> I, so my but they never absolute, sounded better i mean on this this album if you want to hear like the, the flow or the, like the timber of a great hip-hop voice it's it's bugging out i mean both of them sound oh, fantastic absolutely and it's the it's the contrast too you got fife on the high end and you got q-tip on that kind of mid to low kind of smooth end it it really the, the interplay is great and again that's something that you can't fake that that is their natural talent shining through in terms of they're just being who they are. And it really comes mm-hmm. through a lot that like this album has a, a genuine feel to it. I don't feel like a lot of this is manufactured or brav- like you said, it's not bravado. It's not how much money I got, how many bitches I have or whatever. It's like, like one of my favorite lines on this album is uh, when Fife Dog says, "Like uh, you know, it's once again a case of your foot in my Nikes." <laughs> when a crowd is in my row, I say, "May I please?" please. <laughs> yes, that is awesome. So I have that noted as well. Yeah. Well, because he talked about how he wrote these lyrics basically riding the train to the studio. He would just like be writing lyrics on the train, and he's talking about like riding on the train with no dose sucks. Like, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's a real line. He's really like, yeah, I'm broke. This sucks. And there's a bunch of fucking dudes in my way, and I could be like, hey, Matt, please. Because as he references many times, he's five foot three. So he's not the biggest dude in the world. And, you know, he calls himself a five foot assassin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so great. That is genius. Yeah, is. Oh, I think about that. That's hilarious. You know, just own it, you know? There's a recurring yeah. theme on this album about, you know, sneakers. Because uh, I think Fife also talks about New Balance in this song. Yeah, I don't feel so oh, lame yeah. wearing New Balances now. No. Although the ones I get are definitely 41-year-old dad 
<laughs> yeah, you buy New them two at a, you buy them two at a time on Amazon. Oh yeah, because I know yeah. one's gonna be terrible. I'm gonna be mowing the lawn with them in six months, and then I have like my nice pair of New Balances. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You get your backups. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You've got your nice New Balances. <laughs> I wear when I go to Olive Garden or uh, your Olive <laughs> Lone, Garden Lone New Star Steak. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, whenever anybody asks you, you'd be like, hey, I sport New Balance speakers to avoid a narrow path. Okay? Come on. <laughs> right. Honey, where's my, where's my Olive Garden New Balances? Uh, but they also talk about, you know, like, they're, they're very positive throughout the whole album. But one thing I love about this is, like, every once in a while, they'll, they'll be like, you know, you'll catch a foot up your ass if you mess with us. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> Sprinkled in. Yeah. Just see so now. A, ser- a pair of Nikes size 10 and a half. That's right. Which, that's again, right. by the way, that's not a shoe size to brag about. Let's just put that out there. You know, it's like you're like my size 14 Nikes. You're like my size right. 10 and a half, my very reasonably sized Nike. <laughs> well, it's real. It's um, real life. average. I think because it rhymes, it rhymes with ass. <laughs> that, right. That's, a, that's a, we could have said, you know, 12 and a half. Could have been. Like yeah. <laughs> But I think you would have looked at Q-Tip and been like, nah, nah, <laughs> nah, I get it. All right, let's 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 move on to the, the next song we're going to talk about here on our uh, our focus list here. We are going to talk about Check the Rhyme. Check the Rhyme. On the boulevard, I landed. We used to kick routines, and the presence was fitting. It was I, the abstract, and me, the five footer. I kicks the mad style, so step off the Frankfurter. Yo, Fife, you remember that routine that we used to make spiffy like Mr. Clean? Um, um, a tidbit, um, a smidgen. I don't get the message, so you got to <laughs> okay. run the pigeon. Yo, boy, Fife, all the time, tip. Yo, damn, those are some high horns. God damn, those are great. Phil, what do you got? What do you got to say about this one? Just love the stereo mix in general. Like this one, like I like the way the drums are sort of like kicking around, sort of like circularly. It feels a little more hi-fi than some of the other tracks on the record. And, and like in a good way, not, uh, and then yeah, the horns. Uh, they're just, I mean, are this pulled from a James Brown song maybe? Like they, they, they have a very, there's also something to the bass line. It's like, yeah, the whole thing's just funky. Those horns are pulled from an average white band song. <laughs> That's right. Dude, like, uh, no way. Yeah. The cake. That's that band, right? Yeah, cut cut the cake, and uh, oh, they had another big one that I can't think of. Pick up, pick up the pieces. This that song, was the other one. This song actually has seven different songs sampled on it, and this is something that was a differentiator for Tribe versus a lot of the other uh, groups that came out during this time. It was mostly just one sample repeated ad nauseum throughout the course of your song. And it was just, we, we pulled a drum sample, we repeated the entire time. Or maybe we pulled a drum sample and one other sample and we repeated the entire time. This was uh, much more of a soundscape. And again, lo-fi, certainly not, you know, uh, didn't sound like they had a million dollars. It's not Paul's Boutique by any, by any means. But it, it's that sort of achievable 
lo-fi sound, mm-hmm. um, but but also very very layered. And I I really really dig this song. And you know the friendship shines through. You can tell that like Fife and Q-Tip have done this a million times together, and mm-hmm. they are just again they're doing that fly routine from their cousin's block. You know, it's it's uh it's really super cool. Bill, what did you think about this? I love this song, though I have to say, like going, listening back, like this is one of the songs that I'll probably skip through, just because I've heard it so many times. And I remember when mm-hmm. the video came out, them on top of the, uh, the cleaning, that uh, the cleaners. I don't know if you've seen that video recently, but it's fantastic. It still looks good. I mean, it, it's it's funny and yeah, it's it's a it's a great song. I mean, it's. It's a classic. The extra bass kick after the horns in the intro where it really kicks yeah. in. I was listening yeah. to this album in, in the car and I just had the bass all the way up. And when that bass kicks in, it's just like, it lets you know, like, this is the this is the jam. You're going to be listening to this for a while. Oh, and I always loved in the video, like Fife, like they're usually rocking some like Yankee stuff or occasionally have like Atlanta Braves stuff on for some reason. But Fife rocked the Phillies hat. In this video, oh yeah, All for a little right. bit, and nice. I was just like, yeah. And I also thought it was really funny when he <laughs> talks about guy. <laughs> he talks about keeping his hose in check in the video. And there's a girl with him, and she smacks him in the face after he says that. And I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that was so cool that like That's here's awesome. a guy like talking about keeping his hose in check in a rap video, and he, he they're like, hey, have a girl with him, and then smack him in the face for saying that. Like <laughs> you don't say that. Yeah, not after he says. Not after he says, before I hit the butt, the gym must be erect. That's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> and then she smacks him in the face. But also in this line has the the famous Q-tip line, industry rule number 4,080, oh, record yeah. company people are shady. There's not a lot of love for uh, the business side of the industry. As you talked about earlier, Tom, the, you know, they changed the labels and the, they, I think they changed their management co- right before this album. And there's a couple other songs about it too, like the that that came from them. They were like renegotiating their deal with Jive Records, who were the people who event- who signed them originally for three hundred fifty thousand dollars, fantastic advance. But after they had a lot of success, they were kind of looking back on it and being like, "Wait a second, you gave us a lot of money up front, but you're taking a lot of money on the back end." Right. And so maybe we want to renegotiate this. And they had been under the management of uh, that guy Red Alert, who was yeah. a new, he was like a New York DJ who one of the guys from the Jungle Brothers that they knew in high school, his uncle was this guy Red Alert, who was a New York DJ who was very influential in play up-and-coming bands on his radio show. And that's actually kind of how they got their start, was like Red Alert was playing their stuff. And um, in that documentary, there's Q-Tips talking about how he like he knew that they were going to get played like a little after 10 p.m. And so he was just like listening, listening, listening. And he heard it and like called his mom and he was like, well, I'm on the radio. Like it was a big deal because <laughs> yeah, these guys were really like the tastemakers back in the day. They were, you know, the New York hip hop stations were the people that were playing all of these soon to be absolutely killers. Like there's um on 36 Chambers. Um, where they're like, uh, that song, uh, I think it's the Protect Your Neck, where he's just like, the guy at the beginning kind of calls in, he's like, I want to hear that Wu-Tang joint. He's like, Wu-Tang again? He's like, yeah, again and again. Like, that was how they got out to people in the, pr- the days before Spotify, the days before YouTube, the days before... Yeah, man, that's, it's yeah. crazy to hear that 
just how things used to be. I mean, we were in it too. We were growing up during it. It just seems like so foreign now with the machine that is streaming and, and all that stuff. I mean, stuff, I though. definitely remember taping songs off, off the, radio. the radio. After I called sure. called the radio station and requested it, and they'd be like, we're playing it in the next half hour. And then you're waiting at the radio to hit the play and record at the same time <laughs> with your little cassette. Yeah. Adam's Summer Jams, you know. 91. Yeah, but then you get the annoying DJ who talks all Talking the way up until it. the lyrics come yes. in. You're like, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so Check the Rhyme is another one of those that, again, I it, I think that it is intentional. But the whole, you know, they, the first lines back in the day, again, it's like, you know, back in the day on the Boulevard of Linden, you know, it, it puts you in this sense of childhood the sense of the heady days of your youth and it's a really really smart device to use it's it's really fantastic well the record in general i think sort of does what like bob dylan songs do right which is like when you're listening to the song you're sort of transported right uh into this like little world to the point where like when the song's over like you might not even remember i personally don't remember the lyrics after the songs it's almost like I'm like looking into a little picture box and then it's over. It doesn't stick mm-hmm. with me in that way. But I do feel like I am somewhere else. Like I, you know, like being told, uh, it's almost like I'm watching a cartoon, <laughs> like I'm a child watching yeah. a cartoon. I'm fully right. pulled in to this abstract world. That's you know, there's kind of no bigger compliment that I can give an artist than you make me feel like I felt like when I watched Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> Oh my yeah, god! Best times totally. Yeah, good point. Big yeah. ass bowl of cereal. Yeah, bowl like. of cereal. Yes, totally. <laughs> Apple Jacks. Oh my god. Oh, Apple Jacks. I was thinking like you know you're you finally convinced your parents to buy a box of like Cookie Crisp or something. And oh. you're sitting there like, oh yeah, this is just straight sugar. This is amazing. <laughs> Cookies for breakfast. Yeah. Cookie Crisp on a Saturday morning. Hey, I mean, gee, I got. If only my life could have those kinds of highs these days. (laughs) (laughs) You're a grown-ass man. You can buy cookies, Chris. You can just buy regular cookies and put them in a bowl. Yeah, dude, wake up at at 6.15 on Saturday and just pound those. Okay, first of all, I wake up at like 5.45 on Saturdays because my kids get up insanely early. Number two, as an adult, I know that milk makes me shit really bad. So (laughs) I have all this like baggage in there when I'm eating the cookie crisp. It tastes delicious, but I'm like, ah, what's this going to do to me? All right. It's not Uh, as magical as when you were nine years old. And also, I don't know if you guys have watched Thundercats recently. It kind of sucks. It's not that good. They reuse those backgrounds constantly. It's like oh they're, it's like they're like they outside like seven red. Pictures the entire time. Red. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. <laughs> Thundercat sucks. Yeah. Um. Listen, I got. I got to be real about it. I've rewatched Thundercats recently. It ain't good. You're right. I I tried to show it to my son. He was like, "What is this garbage? It's whack. Like, Why did yeah. you watch that? She, yeah. It looks like a high school." project or something like that where they like cut the mouth out and have like the person behind it like conan o'brien old school style (laughs) (laughs) and not that cartoons need to have great voice actors but they were terrible sword of omens i must find the magical it was just probably doesn't help that there was only five episodes and they just recycled the story (laughs) over and over again Uh, poor snarf Anyway, this is a, a preview of our new podcast, <laughs> Talking Shit on Thundercats. <laughs> um, Twice a week. Be- 
before right. before we move on <laughs> from check the rhyme, I, I do want to just mention here that I I think that this is the epitome of Q-Tip's style of sort of being kind of playfully before and after the beat um, on his, especially his second verse that he does, where he, like, I guess the verse where it's like his main verse, the main verse that he does, it is very playful and it's very kind of slinky and in and out of rhythm, and it just, it just sounds cool. I can't think of another word. It sounds so damn cool, and I wish I wish that I could ever sound this cool. I have a nasally grating voice, and like I, all I want is this low, smooth voice. I can just kind of play in and out of the beat. Like, God damn you, Q-Tip, you smooth bastard. I heard he had a cold when he recorded this album. And oh, really? He was convinced that it sounded bad, so he was going to go back and re-record everything that he did. And then everybody was like, no, 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 no. Don't touch it. Like you sound yeah. awesome. It's perfect. Right. And yeah, I think this song specifically, yeah, is, is goes around great. like licking subway railings for the rest of his life. <laughs> he constantly have a cold. <laughs> I found the magic secret. Yeah, it's so good. All right, now we're gonna move on to a track that maybe not is so good. Uh, everything is fair when you're living in the city. <laughs> Lane, who runs the fast lane, barely knows her name, struck by her fame, she just got a bend, she rides with her friends, gotta keep a beeper in her purse to make ends, rolling down the block, checking out the spots, she winks at the cops, always give her props, she knows she's the woman, can't nobody touch her, hangs with the elite, makes her papes from the gutter. This is my personal low point of the album, I'm curious to hear what you guys think about this one. Well, I was a little disappointed because I thought it was a super tramp sample. There's a little like electric piano jabbing. And I was like, oh, that's totally the logical song. And it's not. I'm not holding that against them. But that was the only note that I had on the tune. I think I wrote uh, it's mediocre. It wasn't that exciting. I just hear that. What is that? That's from like something else, too. It's like a guitar bend. Oh, I hear it. Yeah. So it's probably from Don't Knock My Love and or Ain't No Sunshine. Uh, actually, the Ain't No Sunshine by Willis Jackson, not the original version Withers. of that. Not the Withers version. Right. So Willis Jackson. But I think it's from Don't Knock My Love, and I think that might be a saxophone. So basically there are three samples in the song. It's Let's Take It to the People, which is for the everything is fair when you're living in the city. Which is, by the way, the first 40 seconds of the song. The song's like a less than three minute song. Yeah. You had 40 seconds of sample at the beginning. Oh, I don't that's, need that yeah. much. No. I mean, if we're just shitting on this song for fun, <laughs> you know, I mean, like everything is fair. That's just not true. There's, just, there's no truth in that statement. All right. I don't feel so bad about being <laughs> I mean, I don't even know now. where to start with that. You know? <laughs> yeah, this I, is this is skippable. I think it's that. skippable. The only thing that's worth mentioning, though, is that uh, that Willis Gator Tail—that's his—that's his nickname. Willis Gator Tail yeah. Jackson. 
It's samples. There's two samples from the same album called, it's appropriately titled Recording Session. I think it's from <laughs> 19, 1974 or something. It's a tight, it's a really tight 26 minutes of sweet groove. So I think this album, Recording that song's worth it just for, just for introduction to that album. Well, I mean, when you've got the confidence to call it Recording Session. Well, he put all his effort into coming up with that sweet nickname of Gator Tail. <laughs> Gator Tail. <laughs> he just mailed in the session, but he spent time on the name. I don't get what they're trying to go for. And this we've talked about this a couple of times before. This is another song about a woman who seduces and robs men. Does that happen a lot? It feels like it'd be like a Was it uh, was it Ice Cube? Was the other yeah, one? Ice that Cube we had another to? one of those. Yeah. Like there's some epidemic of this happening that is just maybe this is one of those uh, you know, we we don't have the cultural experience to understand that this is the thing that happens but it seems like it must be pretty damn rare that you're just you know waking up to a woman with a gun in your face being like give me all your shit you're like i'm in a one bedroom apartment what are you talking about help yourself if you can get out the door i don't care maybe it's more of like a slow bleed though you know what I mean? Like maybe they're just like sort of just like No, there's money. gunshot sounds on this. You don't have to say Oh, Whoa. that's right. That's all that's you all heard. You heard. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Which I do like the you don't have to say a word breakdown. It gives a little bit of like a musical vibe to it that, you know. It's nice, but I also like if it's the woman murdering you, she has a machine gun. It's not of course. It's not just like pop pop. It's yeah. like, <laughs> like all right, well Yeah, I'm gonna be honest, I don't know what we're talking about anymore. she pulled an uzi out of her purse and then shot him of course as one does as one does but again at least she was kind enough to have sex with him first you know like i'll give her that she's a considerate murderer Uh, uh, Phil, we might have to use that for the for the cold open. <laughs> Guys, I have no idea what we're talking about. Right uh, oh my god. Uh, Phil, if only you could be this honest in regular life as you are on the podcast. Yeah, maybe everything would be different. Uh, you'd probably be less successful in your career because you are pretty good at pretending you know what you're talking yeah, about. I, mean, through. I don't think- I don't think brutal honesty is on, good. On that conference call, guys, look, I got to be honest. I have no idea what the hell we're all talking about. Dude, We've been I've talking been about it for work an hour. Friends for the last twenty five minutes. I don't know what the fuck you guys are talking about. Pay attention at all. In every meeting that I've been in, that's been an hour or more. Somebody's needed to say that. So I, I don't. Right. I think I don't know what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you, Phil. You're that guy. Actually, well I'm really high right now, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> No idea what we're talking about. Uh, all right. You know what? We are running a little bit long, so we are going to round to home. I've been corrected on this before. I said rounding home base, but I think we're rounding third base to go to home to talk about the last song that we are going to get down on here. And it is a song you guys might be familiar with. Scenario. Here we go, yo. Here we go. Is first up to back, no batteries included and no strings attached, no holes barred. No 
time for move faking. Got to get to loot so I can bring home the bacon. Brothers front, they say the drop can't flow, but we've been known to do the impossible like Broadway Joe. So sleep if you want, like cool will help you get your Z's true. But here's the real scoop. I'm all that and then some. Drop duck and have some bust a nut inside your eye to show you where I come from. I'm vexed, fuming. I've had it up to here. My days of paying dues are over. Acknowledge me is in there. Yeah. Head for the border. Go get a taco. I free record from the jump street. Meaning from the get go. Sit back, relax, and let yourself go. Don't sweat what you heard, but act like you know. Yes, yes, y'all. Yes, y'all. Who got the vibe? It's the tribe, y'all. Tribe, y'all. Vibe, y'all. This just—I I just guess I didn't realize this is a tribe called Quest song. I guess I just think of this as a Busta Rhymes song, which isn't a bad thing. It's awesome. I mean, this song rips, <laughs> he was right? nineteen <laughs> at the time, had done almost nothing, and Q-Tip wrote a bunch of the lines that he delivered on here. But his his vocal timbre is so recognizable. So crazy. You can't yeah. help but be like, oh, that's Busta. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when he's st- when he starts growling, just like, raw, I'm a dragon, yeah. or whatever the hell he says, like, <laughs> combine all the juice from the mind. Heal up, wheel up, bring it back, come rewind. Powerful impact, boom, from the cannon. Now bragging, try to read my mind, just imagine. Vote, can't build, there is necessary. When digging into my library, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Eating, I do, still like the one pizza tosser. Oh, 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 all over the track, man. Oh, pardon me, oh, as I come back. As I did the ground, I had to beg your pardon. When I travel through the turn, I roll with the squadron. Rawr, rawr, like a dungeon dragon. Change your little jaws, cause your pants are sagging. Try to step to this, I won't twist you in a turban. And have it smelling right, like some old stale urine. Chuckity charcoal, the chocolate chicken. The rear cock diesel, my cheeks, they were kicking. Yo, bust it out before the bust, I bust another round. The rhythm is insane. Oh. The vibes are on town. Ripping up the sound, just like a ratio. It's just out of nowhere. And like you were forced to look at your speakers and be like, what is going on? It was awesome. Although yeah. this, t- so I, I realized this was the hit. Uh, I'm not that familiar with Tribe. I recognize the here we go, yo, just from, you know, living uh, in, in the world. But this tune actually, I wasn't that thrilled with this song. Being somewhat of a, a newcomer to the, to the full breadth of this song, the organ sample, I thought was just, I guess it's like a diminished thing that they're doing there, but it gets really old really quick. Yeah. I, the only thing I found interesting was when Best Buster Rhymes comes in at like 3.08, and then that woke me up. The entire rest of the song was just that, eh, eh, which is funny because you think about the tone, which is the bass tone from track one, yeah. is literally just a half step and that drum beat, and that keeps you going the whole time. This, same thing, half step. It's an organ. It just doesn't... It just didn't do it for me. Blasphemy. So maybe I'm the odd man out. Right? <laughs> I'm the odd man out on this one, but that's my complaint. This this also gave me major MMW vibes with the organ and the drum. Uh, this one gave me last chance to dance mm. trance vibes. There's another song on here called Jazz, We've Got It. That also I was just like, oh, there's a through line here. I don't know how I didn't put this together. Like there were obviously... Like they would have been teenagers at college, like when this would have been like right. shit coming out of New York. Well, jazz that 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 stample the uh, the five stair steps don't change your love, which is probably like one of the most, I don't know, probably the one of the best samples. I mean, because it was used a year later in Hip Hop Hooray by Naughty oh, by yeah. Nature. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a snare drum. I mean that, that drum. Do 
I, it's funny because that snare drum, I was like, God, I know, yeah. is this where I know it from? I just assumed it yeah. was. It's like, such a great It's like a classic, beat, I mean, like, yeah. It's the five what stair the, steps, what's the, what's the sample don't change like? your love. Adam, I have to ask you a quick question here. Do you hate fun? Do you, is that why you don't like this song? This song is so awesome and so fun. It's it's just, it gives me that sense of like a bunch of friends just having a really good time. The callback vocals, the, you know, everybody in the background, that one time where the guy goes through that like, uh, you know, sort of like a fight, fight, flat, laugh. How'd that sound? Everybody's ooh in the background. Right, right. Come on, it's so fun. It's so it's, good. It's the perfect it posse cut. I mean, come on. Yes, it felt it. more it felt more manufactured than the rest of the album which because you you have a bunch more how many like uh, vocalists were on this right so you've got at least three there were with three actually there. so it was charlie brown and dinko d were the other two guys that did yeah. got it okay got it yeah it just yeah it just felt like it i i guess i understand why it was the the hit um but yeah it just just didn't do it for me it felt a little yeah not not disingenuous, but again, it just felt more manufactured than a lot of the other tracks on the album. This is one of the most enduring hip hop songs of all oh, time. I, Not even just of I, the era, like of all time. <laughs> I get it. I'm wrong. It was in, but... I think it's in the last <laughs> dance uh, that Michael Jordan, oh. you know, the Chicago oh, Bulls sure, yeah. documentary. I mean, Spike Lee's in the video, and I don't think he directed it. He's just there. He's just hanging out. <laughs> he's just, he's just out. like, hey. He's just like, I got to be a part of the awesome, yeah. so here I am. Uh, by the way, I love the, the, the line from Fife in this where he's like, my days of paying dues are over. Acknowledge me is in there. It's like, you just got accepted into this band because you could finally take it seriously enough to show up at the studio, and you're like, I've been paying dues for like a really long time here, guys. All right, let's just, you know. It's like, uh Showed up at work and shit. You showed up at the studio at one o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Way to pay some dues. Well, well, like Adam was saying, Buster Rhymes. I mean, his his lyrics. I mean, his Q-tip sets him up perfectly to come in and just like steal the show. But I think uh, Fife kind of, you know, there's a few dick jokes in this album. I think it's the best one in scenario where you say where uh, Fife says, "Bust the nut inside your eye to show you where I come from." <laughs> Absolutely killer. That's the best. That's the best dick joke in in hip hop. I, I watched the Arsenio. I actually, I'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna make a, I'm gonna make a, a a a counter to that best dick joke in hip hop. Okay. I actually think the best dick joke in hip hop is another Fife line. I believe it's on Midnight Marauders <laughs> where he says, uh, I he says I. He says, I, I bust a nut on your couch. Now you got Siemens furniture. <laughs> oh <laughs> like Siemens God. was like the Siemens furniture outlet. Siemens the manufacturer. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the, I think that might be my favorite. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty He's fantastic. the best. And that was, Rest in peace. Again, I like watching that documentary. They were they reminded me of that. And I was like, oh, my God, that's such a good line. That's <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah. Uh, again, how could you deny? Like, from not only the standpoint of an experience of listening to it by yourself, but seeing this live, it is perfectly crafted for a live experience because there's all those call out points. Can I get a hit? Hit! Boom, bit with a brother named Tip. Now we're ready to flip. Like, if you're in the crowd and you could, like, yell out for the hits right, and, like, right. all the callbacks, it's so damn good. Yeah, I saw this actually on Arsenio. They they did it on Arsenio, live. Wait, like, they uh, went from radio 
to the video to Arsenio. That's right. <laughs> they they uh, name drop Arsenio a few times in this album. Yeah, the but station, they actually some station did a scenario Arsenio, right. on Arsenio, and it was amazing. And I remember seeing him like on the sideline, just being like, "Yeah, I love you guys." <laughs> How could you not? Like you referenced me like great. fourteen times on your album. <laughs> but Arsenio was a huge show, and like especially hugely influential for. The black community and also giving a lot of hip hop acts a national forum, a platform, to, yeah. right? Yeah, and also responsible maybe for Bill Clinton. Um, that saxophone moment with Bill Clinton. Was, oh yeah, uh, oh yeah, that put him on the map mm-hmm. and got him way. the youth vote. And uh, you know, I guess we're all better for that. I don't know. Bill Clinton was a great president. The '90s were pretty good, but like he's also kind of a piece of shit. So you know. <laughs> Stay tuned for the spinoff podcast, Politics yeah. with I don't know. Uninformed Political Opinions. <laughs> Eight times a week. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I could actually talk more about uninformed political opinions than I could talk about uninformed <laughs> musical opinions. <laughs> All right. Definitely takes less talent. So, um, any final notes on scenario? Any final notes on this album? Anything you think we missed, guys? One thing I did want to bring up, uh, if that's all right, uh, just because there's so many great songs on this album, is Vibes and Stuff, which is just Q-Tip. And I I think this is the song, you know, this album came out in 1991. I was like 14. And I think it came out on the same day as Nirvana, Nevermind. Wow. And I had a three-CD boombox. And at one point, at the end of 1991, I think I had this Nirvana Nevermind and Pearl Jam's 10, just kind of like cycling, just going around and around. And that's all I listened to from probably a few months. You know what? This did come out the same day as Nevermind, September 24th, 1991. Something else came out that day too, like Blood, Sex, Sugar, Magic or something. In all honesty, like there's no, there's no time period these days that is in any way as like comparable to and right right epic as that time and we've talked about this a little bit before but i think it does really come down to like you had the airwaves being dominated by hair metal and synth pop and it had been dominated by those two sounds for so long that everybody was just so damn sick of it and there was like i just mm-hmm. need some new stuff and you had an army of A&R guys out there being like trying to find the new sound and trying to find the new thing. And damn it, they didn't hit on it like a bunch of times because really, really killer. So the other song that I was going to say is Vibes and Stuff. It's the song that really got me into jazz, though it didn't really happen until about 10 years later. Um, and I think I heard Grant Green somewhere. He, he has this live album that's sampled on Vibes and Stuff. and. Um, if you don't know Grant Green, definitely go check him out. He's my favorite jazz guitarist. Uh, the song for this on that song is uh, "Down Here on the Ground," and um, it's fantastic. It's a live album. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And and there's another album. Quickly, I think yeah. uh, I forget what it's called. It's like, uh, but it's got a song called "Ain't It Funky," which is uh, the James Brown. it's 10 minutes of unbelievable solos i mean oh that's badass you gotta check it out grant green i mean that's what i got from this album i think well you know it's funny it's unbelievable jazz is an old man's game right there's not a lot of teenagers that are like legitimately into jazz but I, i do feel like this album 
is a glide path into appreciating jazz. If you're like, I want to go a step deeper, you know? I hear yeah, that. Yeah, right, right. Like, I, I see what this has in common with Steely Dan, right? Like, I could, like, drink scotch and listen to this. Totally. No yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Well, it's like, one of those albums that can function as party music. As you said, parties in our 20s, like, we play Tribe a lot. It can function as contemplative music if you want to get a little bit deeper into the meaning of the lyrics. It can function as background music for a dinner party. Like, it, it kind of can hit on all cylinders it really is a uh it's a it's an Versatile. album for all seasons shall we say yeah yeah now let's hope we didn't play our hand too much and we're gonna get to the most <laughs> exciting part of the podcast where we vote as to whether or not this one belongs on the list of 1001 albums you must hear before you die so i am gonna throw it over to adam first what's your take man yeah, this was a completely new listen for me. Like I said, I didn't listen to a lot of hip-hop in the 90s. I was listening to Neil Sedaka and other weird shit from my dad's albums. So this passed me by. I'm super happy that I listened to this. I totally dig this retro, jazz-based hip-hop scene that these guys helped kick off. And so for me, yeah, you got to hear this. This is a great album. Yeah, rock it. All right, we got one, Bill. What do you think? Absolutely. And 2020, it was ranked number 43 on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. And I think that's that's too low. All right. Phil, what do you think, man? Yeah, I mean, this this is this is definitely a yes for me. I love the comments about Gateway to Jazz. Um, I do think diving into the samples and, and the source material is a ton of fun. Uh, and and I was also equally shocked to find that this closed out with scenario. Uh, I was not <laughs> expecting that at all. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad, but scenario rips uh, in its own way. So uh, this is a this is a strong yes from me. Yeah, super strong yes from me too. We're gonna go four for four here uh, again. It's what are you looking for in an album? This has it. Do you want stuff that has? Interesting crate diving samples, 100% has that. Do you want something that has funny lyrics? Definitely has that. Do you want something that has meaningful lyrics? Definitely has that. Do you want something that's going to make you feel kind of welcomed and cozy and warm? It's got that. Do you want something that's going to challenge you a little bit? It also has that. I, I think that... I was familiar with this album before when it came up on the uh, on the Albinator. I was very happy to hear it. And I was like, you know, let me go into this with a fresh set of eyes. And hopefully this is not just nostalgia that's making me think that this is a great album. And even examining it from the standpoint of a listener in 2022, this album goddamn kills it. And I am so happy to have listened to it. I've listened to it probably 15 times over the course of this past week, and I didn't get sick of it. And that says a lot, because there's not much that I can't do 15 times in a row where I'm not going to get sick of it. Sure. So there you have it. Four for four. Welcome to the list, A Tribe Called Quest. I'm sure that uh, Fife Dog is throwing us up the deuces from uh from wherever he is these days uh it is super sad that he died He's, he was definitely a very very talented guy all that is left dear listeners is for us to bust out the albinator 5000 and figure out what we are going to be listening to next week so without any further ado drum roll please we will be listening to another paragon of hip-hop 
It is Willie Nelson's The Red-Headed Stranger. <laughs> <laughs> I am sure. Thank you for identifying the artist because I am not familiar with that album. Yeah, Are you surprised? Adam doesn't you know, know anything. So. I heard, by the way, that he is not an invalid, but I think he used to smoke the weed out. That, that is the story that I've heard about Willie Nelson. Maybe apocryphal, I don't know. Um, but yes, listen to that in the run-up to next week, dear listeners. Thank you for hanging out with us all the way through this podcast, getting to this point, getting your homework for next week. Willie Nelson's Redheaded Stranger. Did you like what we had to say about A Tribe Called Quest? Did you think that we were completely off the base? Did you think that we were insightful and it gave you a new way to appreciate this great art? You can let us know. 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. That's 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. Again, you know, feel free to like us. Feel free to... I, I, wait, wait, we don't have YouTube, so I guess you can't like us. Feel free to give us a rating of five stars or whatever amount of stars you feel like we deserve. You could PayPal us money, too. I'm I don't sure think we, we have that, that set up. We didn't set up the Patreon yet because we're just lazy. We don't have a Patreon because we do this for ourselves, but we really do right, hope that other right. people get some enjoyment out of this. Um, Absolutely. In all honesty, as we've said many times before, we'd be bullshitting on music over Zoom even if regardless we of whether or not we were <laughs> even if we're recording this or not that this is kind of just right. what we do but thank you for being along for the journey very much looking forward to next week willie nelson's redheaded stranger bill thank you very much for appearing on the podcast really really appreciate it hope to have yeah, you back dude. again man yeah this is awesome i'd love to come back i had a great time good to see you guys so until next week i have been tom i'm adam i'm bill and I'm Phil. Boosh. <laughs> <laughs>